Thank you for joining Radio Maria England. We now present Feasts and Seasons, presented by Joanna Bogle. Hello, this is Joanna Bogle, Auntie Joanna, talking about Feasts and Seasons. season of Lent. But one of the good things about Lent is that it does include some very good feast days. And we have one on March the 1st, St. David's Day. St. David, and you must already know this because it's well known, is the patron saint of Wales. He was a Welsh bishop in the 6th century. And he's commemorated all over Wales, and not least in the place called St. David's. Think about it. Think about Wales and think about what we mean by Wales. The Catholic faith came to Britannia, then part of the Roman Empire, very soon after the dramatic events of Christ's death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. We don't know who the first Christians were who arrived, but we do know that it was all well within the first couple of centuries after Christ. And a flourishing Romano-British Christianity was here in what we today call England and to what we today call Wales. With the collapse of the Roman Empire, the original Romano-British pushed westwards and Christianity only really flourished because the new barbarians, the Saxons invading, were certainly pagans. It only really flourished in the areas to the west that we today call Cornwall and Wales. The Saxon word for a stranger is Welsh, a stranger, one who does not speak my language. It's our word today, false, in our Saxon English language. So Cornwall and Wales are what the Saxons called strangers, but the Welsh and the Cornish just knew they were British, they were just people, and they were Christian. So here we are in about the year 500, David is born. He is born into a Romano-British Christian family, and he becomes a monk. We think he lived from about the year 500 to about the year 589, uh, but there was no register of births, marriages, and deaths at that time, so we're not absolutely sure. And there are various claims about his parentage, whether he was uh, royal blood or what. But we do know that he became a monk and that he revived Christianity at a time when it was flagging, remember, Roman Empire collapsing, Saxons invading, and that he did this by a very stern form of monasticism. It is said that his monks were known as the watermen because they didn't drink anything except water. They lived on vegetables and bread. It was a tough life, and it is said they drew their own plows, didn't even use oxen, but hauled their own ploughs across the land, drank only water, bread with salt, herbs, vegetables, spent their evenings in prayer, reading and writing. No personal possessions were allowed. Nobody was allowed to say, my book, my spoon. Everything held to be held in common. A very simple life, very ascetic. Is this what kept the faith alive? Well, certainly he was much loved in Wales. Think of the number of places named after him and think of what 
Wales is, it has always had an unbroken link with Christianity. Now, one of the famous stories about St. David is that when he was preaching, he couldn't be heard because there was a large crowd. And so he prayed and the land rose up beneath him and he was standing on a rise in the land on a mountain. And one version is that a white dove, which later became his emblem, flew and was seen settling on his shoulder. You can see depictions of this in all sorts of places in Wales and interestingly in London too, because there is a mosaic depicting exactly that in Westminster Cathedral. And it was unveiled by Pope Benedict XVI when he came on his visit to Great Britain at the invitation of Her Majesty the Queen in the year 2010. The itinerary was quite busy and it wasn't possible for him to go to Wales. And so instead, Wales came to him and this mosaic was unveiled in Westminster Cathedral, which had never had a chapel to St. David, a serious omission, as there is one to St. Patrick, St. Andrew and to St. George. He not only unveiled the mosaic, but he spoke and prayed in Welsh. I remember the first time I heard the Lord's Prayer in Wales. I was invited to speak at a school assembly in Wales. I was giving out some prizes for a, a school's project I'd been invited to get involved with. And at the end, we all prayed and the children said the Lord's Prayer in Welsh. It was lovely. And I can remember my worry when we began because the headmaster began greeting the children, Borada, and I had to explain I didn't speak any, any Welsh. The Welsh will tell you, Wales is the language of heaven. And it is certainly true that there was a thriving Christianity in Wales when it had died out in much of England because of the pagan Saxons who had invaded. David had many connections. He is said to have visited Glastonbury. There was a great abbey there. And certainly that would have been, again, in the west of England, a connection with Romano-British Christianity. And we know that there is a strong story of the, David's connection with Glastonbury. Sometimes old stories and legends can't be relied on. Sometimes they can. You have to do a bit of research and weigh it up. What was David's idea? Simplicity, a tough life, prayer, 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 an ascetic way of living. But he also left his monks with a very important message. Do the little things. Brothers and sisters, be joyful and keep your faith and your creed and do the little things that you have seen me do and heard about. You see, it's always the little things. And he's right about that. It's not always the great big events either that make a difference in the life of the church. It's the little things. And we've seen that in the lives of so many other saints who have won people over to the faith by simplicity of life, by kindness and good cheer, by doing the little tasks faithfully and well. Echoes of Mother Teresa of Calcutta who said, do the little things well. God doesn't always ask us to be victorious, but to be faithful. So do the little things. There is a, 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 an important sense in which David has never been forgotten in Wales and his cult and the love of St. David lasted beyond the Reformation and thrives to this day. What happens on St. David's Day? Well, the tradition of uh, the Welsh is that his symbol is a leek and also a daffodil. You can eat barabrith, which is that very delicious Welsh tea bread. You can sing, land of my fathers, and so on. And there are specific traditions like the Welsh guards, all wearing a daffodil, 
being presented with daffodils and so on, and much more. Find out about the traditions of St. David for Wales. The tradition of the church decrees that if a saint's day is really important, and remember that can mean locally and not just internationally, it can be a local important saint, then you are allowed, indeed almost obliged, to celebrate on his feast day. And we are blessed because in the springtime, in Lent, in this time of penance, we have plenty of feast days in Lent. I've mentioned St. David, and of course there is St. Patrick on March the 17th, of whom more as we get nearer that date, and the shamrock and the proper things to do on St. Patrick's Day and all that, and St. Joseph on March the 19th. Now, he's always been important, but he's of particular importance this year because our Holy Father, Pope Francis, has marked this as the year of St. Joseph. So this year, do let's take a break from Lent on St. Joseph's Day. There is an argument that says that Sundays should always also be celebrated in Lent. You can't really have solemnity on the day of the resurrection, and every Sunday is a little Easter, is the day of the resurrection. We've got other feast days that are important locally. In Scotland, St. John Ogilvie, hero priest of the Reformation era, who stayed loyal to the faith and was cruelly tortured by denying him sleep. Isn't that terrible? There's a fine picture of him in Glasgow's Catholic Cathedral. His feast day is on March the 10th. And we've got an understanding that the importance of a feast day in Lent, we've got more coming up, St. Cyril of Jerusalem on March the 18th, and we've got feast days of, of, uh, that are also important, like, and possibly no, nothing could be more important, the Annunciation on March the 25th, that these really should be marked by lifting your penance and, of course, by going to Mass. It isn't quite right to go through Lent thinking, how can I get out of it? We all know that's not really in the spirit of Lent. But it's also a fact that a feast day is just as important as fasting, and we do need to get that one right. One of the points about the church this year is that, of course, in a sense, it is not circular, but it's cyclical. It goes on round and round. The Annunciation, the moment when the word became flesh under the beating heart of a woman, that is the beginning of our redemption story with God dramatically intervening in the world he loves, as he promised from the beginning that he would do. Nobody was expecting the way it happened. It didn't happen silently. It was a proclamation by an angel. And when the child was finally born, angels filled the skies with singing. But it was a child. It wasn't a great victorious king. Now, look here. Everything changes now. No, it was one who came among us to serve. And our redemption was won that way through Christ's suffering, through his death and resurrection, through his being one of us. And because of that, all suffering makes sense and all simplicity of everyday life makes sense. So we're back to St. David. Do the little things. It's important because that's what Christ did. He spent the first 30 years of his life doing the little things, learning the trade that his foster father, Joseph, taught him earning with his foster father the daily bread for the family. Yes, and blessing it and eating it too as a family, doing the little things. He came among us. He was one of us. He knew everything we knew. 
being hungry and thirsty, needing to sleep, needing clothes to wear, living in a family, needing a family, especially in his early years when he couldn't look after himself, and caring for the family, being obedient to his mother and his foster father, and they in turn caring for him and fulfilling their religious duties together, going up to Jerusalem and so on. It's the little things. And then when you listen, they're not so little afterwards, are they? They're really quite big. The model of the holy family is the model for all families. And yes, for all religious families too. So St. David and his monks did the little things. And to this day, there is Christianity flourishing in Wales. It's very important that we understand this continuity. Now, there's a continuity too in the life of the church. So with the Annunciation, nine months later, 40 weeks. Number 40 is very important in the scriptures, 40 days of Lent and so on. A baby will be born 40 weeks after the Annunciation and it will be Christmas. But already we look ahead to his death and resurrection and already as we honour his first arrival, the incarnation, the word made flesh, we are already, we are already in the throes of thinking about his passion, death and resurrection. So it's all a great sort of cycle of events. A tradition of the church, of many centuries standing, is that Christ's death on the cross was on the Feast of the Annunciation. It, it matched, that year it matched. Well, there is an important solemnity in that. Either way, every year without fail in the springtime, we honour his death on the cross and his arrival as a little baby. We honour his arrival as a little baby in the beating, under the beating heart of a woman, tiny speck, and we honour his death on the cross. It always matches. Well, we're going on through Lent, and already we can see Holy Week and Easter sparkling on the horizon. Holy Week, Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. There's lots and lots to look forward to, and meanwhile we plod on through Lent, illuminated by the feast days. You're listening to Auntie Joanna, Joanna Bogle on Feasts and Seasons. Send us any of your stories. Tell us how you celebrate the feasts and seasons of the church's year. Any family traditions? What do you do, make, eat and sing for the different feasts of the year? What will you be doing for the feasts that are coming up? Send us your stories at info at radiomariaengland.uk Thank you. 